this Sunday is a bittersweet Sunday for us as we say farewell to the Michelson family who has served us faithfully here at Northwest Hills for many years. Uh, Pastor Jeremy has accepted a call to be a lead pastor up in the state of Washington. And so I've asked him today to bring the message. He's going to tell you about where they're going, what they're going to be doing. And then at the conclusion of that message, we'll have a commissioning prayer for them and we'll bless them and send them off to serve God in the state of Washington. I've so enjoyed serving with Jeremy. Uh, we love them. We bless them. We're going to miss them. But it's an excitement for us also to launch them to this next calling that God has in their life. To know that God chose someone from our team to fill a need in a church where they had no pastor is, uh, is a really neat thing. And uh, my heart is appreciative to Jeremy. When you're a brand new pastor coming in and there is someone that can help you get on your computer and figure out how to get it going, you are grateful, right, in 2018. And Jeremy has been that to me and many things else. So we welcome. Would you give him a warm welcome? We bless them this morning. Thank you. So I started out first hour with a little joke about, uh, you know, moving to Washington. It's like it's. They're like brother and sister, Oregon and Washington. Uh, whereas, so it's not like I'm, we're going to Samaria to preach. That would be California. Uh, so we're going to Washington. So, uh, so good morning, everyone. My name is Jeremy Michelson. This is my privilege to share with you today. I'm the, the executive pastor here, but today is my last day. And so I've been getting a couple questions. We'll see here if my little clicker is going to be happy. Oh, it is. Okay. So these are the three questions that I've been getting nonstop for the last couple of weeks. What are you doing? Where are you going and what are you thinking? So I just want to quickly cover those before we get into uh, an exhortation I want to share with you today. So uh, where are we going? So we're versus what are we doing? So there is this little church up in Washington, about 60 people. Uh, it looks like this. Uh, and uh, so here's, a, here's the long version of that, or not the super long, but the, the quick version of that. We came to this church about 14 years ago as college students at Oregon State University, my wife and I, and we, were, we already married. We got plugged into this really amazing young marriage group. We love those people. Many of them are our dearest friends here today and spread out over the country as we all moved away after college. And uh, we, we loved that time. We were able to, we had just graduated from Bible school, so we had stepped in and we were doing a little bit of teaching and we're involved in discipleship. And uh, it was good. It was so good that when we graduated, we drew kind of a circle around Corvallis. And like, we need to be near here so we can stay connected to this church. We did that. I got an engineering job up in Salem. We lived in Albany. We commuted. It was great. I did that for about five years. And uh, we'd known the, that whole time that our heart was to be involved in ministry and we wanted to work overseas. And so at the, at the end of that time period, God worked in an amazing way and got us connected to this ministry down in Venezuela. And so this church sent us as a family. We had three little ones. My youngest was a year and a half. And here we went down to Venezuela and it was great. However, Venezuela is, uh, it had a little bit, some, had some issues while we were down there. We were down there when their previous president, Hugo Chavez, died, and it kind of sent the country into turmoil, which you're, it's still in turmoil. If you see the news lately, they're still dealing with the ramifications of the events that happened while we are still living there. Um, so we enjoyed that, that season of time when we were able to be uh, kind of support missionaries. So as, as an engineer, I helped with everything from solar panels to uh, typesetting Bibles, water systems, buildings, all kinds of different things. Uh, but that's what we did down in Venezuela. And when it was very interesting, there was a, around Christmas time, there was a year and we were, we were praying through, there's kind of security things happening. And we felt really clear, hey, it's time to leave, which was really weird because we'd only been there two and a half years. 
but we went and talked to our leadership, and we talked to some folks back here, and everyone's like, yeah, I, we, we guess it makes sense. And so we, we came back, and two weeks after we touched down back here in this country, the kind of visa that we had for all American citizens across the board were canceled. And so we made it back kind of just in the nick of time. God, God has a way of doing these things. And so we, we've, been, so we've been back here. We worked remotely for a while, which I still do to a certain extent today, although it's starting to uh, calm down in terms of still providing technical support remotely. So we did that for a couple of years, or for a year or so, and then there was a need here at North of Sills. The previous uh, administrative person was retiring, and uh, we felt like God was asking us to step in and help out here for a bit, and so we, we did. And so about two and a half years ago, became a pastor here at Northwest Sills, and so I've been serving and in, enjoying that. Uh, however, this summer, we were, we were sitting back there near Jack there and uh, sharing, and uh, the whites were up here sharing, and we, we've been praying about what, what we should be doing. We, we know my wife and I both are passionate about discipleship and want to be teaching and, and building into things like that, and so we were sitting back there and listening, and we realized oh, we, we might need to move on to do this because we, we, know, we knew what we, were, we were not doing what we should be doing in terms of being able to be teaching and discipling. So we, we, we took a little weekend and we let, let kids go, some good friends from here, Barb and Brian, they watched the kids. We took a little prayer weekend. We prayed through like, wow, are we really like able to move on to do something else? We've been here 14 years. That seems crazy. Um, but it was. And so we went, I went and visited with Mike in the office and said, hey, Mike, I'm so sorry. Um, I think it's time for us to move on. And so he, he encouraged us to stick here in the Northwest, which was, was great advice. And um, so that evening I went home and like every other person my age, when they're looking for a new job, type in, what's, what's the new job? And uh, lo and behold, we'd, we'd done that a little bit before that point as well. But that same day, the job for this church was posted. And uh, it was a little church up in Lacey, Washington. And so we went and visited in September and went back in Canada in December. And so in December, they uh, invited us to come be their lead pastor. So that's, that's the short version. Okay, so that's what we're doing, uh, where we're going. So it's just up the freeway. I mean, literally just up the freeway. The church is about two minutes from the freeway. Um, so it's just up in Olympia. Uh, so Lacey's really just like a little suburb of Olympia. Um, and so it's about three and a half hours up there. It's a neat, neat little spot. Um, if you're... A good Northwest person, you'll see there lacing the spot. But there's also this big military base nearby, JBLM. And this is really, um, it's important in the story of this church because it, what, it's a, that's actually, a, it was a decent sized building, but there's only like 50 people left in there. And it's like, well, what, what happened? And so we, as we've been visiting and getting to know them a little bit, I actually met with the previous senior pastor when he retired in November at 65. And he basically said, yeah, about five years ago, there was a big base reorganization, and the old Fort Lewis and the McCord Air Force Base, they merged to become kind of this joint military base, and in the process of that, downsized a lot. And so it just so happened like the, many of the families in this church were connected to the military base, and so they kind of lost their core families. And so as we go up here in a couple of weeks, we show up to children's ministry, and it's going to be our three kids because there's no other kids in the church. Um, and it's hard. You know, we have... there's. Plenty of older families. Uh, there are some uh, young couples, but there's no kids. And so that's really, that's the challenge for what we're doing, why we're going, why they hired a 35-year-old pastor. Uh, it's because that has family, three kids, because they want to start filling that hole in their congregation. So small place, it's a challenging job. Um, but we're also excited, and the, the what are you thinking part after I explain all that, is that if you, were, if you think of church planning, what you'd want 
you're going to go plant a church, you'd, you'd, a building's nice. Okay, we got a paid-off building there. Uh, a core group of people who are committed. Okay, they have that. Um, and, and a little bit of a salary. So it, from a church planning perspective, this is really the trifecta. So we're, we're thinking it is a little crazy, but we've done crazy before. I, I lived in Venezuela. This is not that crazy. Um, and so, so anyways, that's what we're thinking. That's where we're going. That's, that's the short version. Let me connect that to what we've been talking about here these last couple of weeks with Mr. Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was a man who knew things were not as they should be and went and did something about it. And that's, that's in essence what we're doing. We're, we're kind of like them. We have a pretty, and like Nehemiah, we had a pretty cozy job uh, doing things that we love and that were good. And, and we're moving to do because we know there's some things that are not as they should be. And we're going to do something about that. I just want to encourage you this morning. It's kind of the theme of the, kind of my whole conversation to you is when you see things that are not as they should be, you, you should do something about it. Uh, step out in faith and do it. Okay. Um, and if you look at the overall story of Nehemiah, there's kind of a big picture I want to show you, kind of the 50,000-foot level. And you see this at the end of the book. Uh, and you see Nehemiah, he's going back and it's like, well, people aren't doing what they should be doing. He's kind of telling these folks, hey, you're messing that up, you're messing this up. It, they're still struggling. Even after the work that uh, Nehemiah does, there's still a struggle. And there's a reason why there's still a struggle, is that they were still awaiting the Messiah. They, it wasn't done yet. God was not yet done with Jerusalem. And I think that's an important reminder for us in this world that things are not as they should be, and they won't be until the people believe in their Messiah and, and there, he's there. Now, a couple of cast members from this period of history, if you read, you know, Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah is actually one book in, in the Hebrew, but the story of what's happening, there's the, the prince, the, there's Rubabel. My wife reminded me I should have... I practiced that name a couple more times, but he was a prince. He was the, he was descendant of David. He was in, he's in the lineage of Christ. So he's kind of your leader type person. You have Ezra, the priest. He's actually the, uh, the son of the, the last high priest of the first temple. Uh, and so he's of the line of Aaron, a Levite. So he's a priest. Uh, and you have Nehemiah, the, the lay person like us, just a regular dude had a regular job that God used to do something amazing. And so you, you look at these distinctions and these different roles and, and the covenant they lived under in the Old Covenant was quite a bit different than what we live under. And this distinction between Ezra, who's coming there to preach the word, and then Nehemiah is coming to build and do these things, and that God uses this big team to work together. We still today have a big team, but there's not these distinctions quite like this. And I think this is something that the reformer Martin Luther, he was very passionate about helping people understand this, this distinction uh, that there isn't a distinction that we sometimes make there to be, that there was in the Old Covenant, that there isn't in the New Covenant. And that is that there's, not, there's no longer a, a priesthood and a not-priesthood. There's no longer a, a clergy versus the laity or the a secular versus the spiritual. In Christ, it's all been merged. And let, me, let me show you this from First Peter. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Okay, that's the church. That's us. Peter's writing to the, the to us through that book there that we all have a, a new connection to God. And if you look at the context of this, you'd even see he talks about the as the believers are are the temple that we are built up on. Jesus is the foundation where all the building blocks. The house of the Lord is 
is us. The people is the house of the Lord. He's, his spirit involves each of us individually. We can individually pray and connect to God directly. We're no, there's no longer a need for this intermediary priest. Uh, and so we have something far greater than Nehemiah ever had because we have the spirit of God living inside of us. And as a church body, we can come together as a team and accomplish what he's asking us to do. Uh, so it's similar to Nehemiah, but it's also radically different and better. So that's just some big picture for us as we dive into what I really want to share with you this morning uh, is a message that is, is farewell, is a, a, a good way of saying goodbye. Uh, but also I want to challenge you to be able to serve well with the time that you have. Okay, so we're going to read a chunk here from First Peter chapter four. If you have your Bible, turn to there this morning. We'll, everything else here this morning will all be from First Peter chapter four. We're going to read it right now. The end of all things is near. Now, for me, literally, right now, my end of my employment here is very near. Uh, but Peter's talking about something else here. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, let's pray together. Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you for your word, that, Lord, that we have it in our language that we can read and understand. Lord, I pray, Lord, that this truth would be heard and understand this morning by all of us, Lord, that we would uh, tap into what you've communicated through the Peter. And Lord, that I would speak to our souls, speak to our lives, Lord, that we would be able to live in light of eternity, Lord, that we would be able to live in a way that is honoring to you, Lord, that we would be able to be like Nehemiah and do something about the things that we see that, that needs doing. So Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak truth through me, and Lord, just lead and guide us as a church family. And we pray us all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's take a look here at the details. The end is near. Okay, therefore, so... And it's been a couple thousand years, so like Peter literally is the end near, and Peter does explain himself in his second letter. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you or us, not wishing that any would perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants people to change their mind about who God is and come into a relationship with him, to, to believe in him. That's what God wants, and he's patient how patient? Like thousands of years patient. So he's, he's very, very patient. So don't think of the length of time it's been since this all went down as that God's like, where is he? Well, he's there. He's just really patient. And that's a good thing. That is to our blessing as believers that God has been patient uh, in, in many, many ways. But there's four imperatives or instructions that Peter gives us in this passage that I want to challenge you with. Uh, that I think are, speak directly to where we're at here in 2019, just as much as it did those 2,000 years ago. Okay, so the first one, it's all, in, it's funny in the original language, it's all one word. This be of sound judgment. That's one verb, um, and a sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Prayer is important. 
what we pray about, if we think of the things that we're going to do in our lives that are of any spiritual significance, if they're not connected to prayer, I would challenge you to say they're probably not going to be that spiritually significant because the Spirit of God works through us when we're praying. And to pray in light of eternity. How many times are we at our workplaces or with our friends or families and we're, we're not praying for these people like the end is near? Like, do we, do we think about, wow, Lord, give me some opportunities for how I can speak truth to this person. Or, Lord, get, put some opportunities or other people in this person's life that, Lord, they'd see some truth. We need to be praying for the people around us as if the end is near because we're challenged right here. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purposes of prayer. We need to be thinking about those around us and be thinking about that we don't have forever and be praying and asking God for opportunities to make an impact that does last forever. Okay, so that's the first challenge I want to leave to you. And it's kind of my, my challenge to the Northwest Hills staff, uh, the, the folks who replaced me, um, Pastor Mike, Josh, Kurt. Uh, one of the biggest blessings I received here as a pastor is actually going to the, uh, there's a Thursday afternoon, or excuse me, Thursday morning prayer group of all the pastors in town, city prayer. Uh, spoke a huge amount to me. I just encourage you guys to consider that. Um, and actually, this, this message is based off some encouragement that we got I went there to say kind of our, our farewells to that team of people. Um, but as a church, let us pray in light of eternity. Pray for people who are around us. The second thing that I think Peter talks about in here is loving one another. What does it say? Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. This word fervent, this is the most profound statement I'm going to make in here today is uh, this, this Greek word, eklanes, uh, eager, earnest, complete. This is like the kids in the back of your car when they're asking, are we there yet? They're eager, they're earnest, they, they want to be there. They're going to keep asking, like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That is the kind of attitude we should have toward loving one another. We should be looking for, can I love you? How can I love? Can, are we, are, is there an opportunity for me to love here? That is the, we need to be like kids in that regard, trying to love one another. And, you know, love is a hard word in English because that has a huge range of meaning. In the original language, there's three kinds of love, right? There's romantic love and, you know, romantic love does not cover a multitude of sins. Maybe a couple you know, at home it could cover, but the vast majority, romantic love does not take care of those sins. Uh, which sometimes you wish it would, but it doesn't. Uh, the second kind of love is this brotherly love, you know, the Philadelphia kind of love. And this love is, you know, you, you show, and it's a good love to have. You should have some bros and people you can connect with to speak truth to you uh, and to, to love in a brotherly love. And I think oftentimes here at the church, we, we have brotherly love for one another. We're family and we're helping each other out. And that's good, but that's actually not the kind of love here. The love that covers a multitude of sins is, is of course, agape or uh, sacrificial love, where we lay down ourselves for the betterment of another person. Now, that kind of love, that can actually cover a multitude of sins. And so I want to challenge you, I want to exhort you to love one another, not, not in any other way than a, a sacrificial way, to choose to give up of yourself and to love other people, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your family, whether it's other people in the church, whether it's people in the community, we are to love one another. It changes everything, and it takes care of many fallings. If you think of the church has its faults all over the planet, the church has its faults. But this is the one thing, if we loved one another, that would cover it, and the church's witness would still be standing if we would love one another. I want to challenge you this morning to love one another.
Okay. The third piece here, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Okay. This hospitality that we show to one another is also super important as a church. You can think about what, what is hospitality other than investing in people. People last forever, and as we're thinking as the end is near, we need to be investing time and resources in people. If every guest who showed up here to North of Sills, they are a brand new person, they're rather new to Corvallis, new to our city, new to the church, doesn't matter. If, if every new person came, got connected, and someone invited them out to lunch, and that investment of time and resources took place, th- that would be a good thing. And if every time a, a person showed up to your company and they were new and you invited them over and spent some time with them and showed them hospitality, that would be a good thing. We, we invest time in people because people last forever. We invest in them. We, we show hospitality. Uh, super critical. That's the third challenge from this passage is invest in people. Um, okay, this last one. Use whatever you have to serve one another. The text says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is really important. You know, this is when, when I first arrived here as a, just a regular tender in office sales, I went and met, at the time was Fred. He was the guy who took care of all the, the behind-the-scenes things. I said, hey, can I help you out with that website? Uh, so Glade and I did that for a while, and then there was new systems, and we helped set up email for the staff, and then we set up, helped set up uh, a file server. I, I remember coming back from Venezuela on furlough, and like, oh, the server's full, and so we kind of laid out a whole, whole new server setup, and it was great, wonderful. Um, serving with whatever gifts you have, whether natural or spiritual. It, it made it much easier for when I came on staff. I was like, oh, yeah, I set that up and that up and that up. And it's like, yeah, I had my systems. It was all already in place. But I want to encourage you that, and my, my replacement is coming. You'll hear about it here next week. Um, but the, the details that you have an opportunity to serve. Everyone has different abilities and gifts. Um, if you're technically minded, yeah, you should, you should come visit with them and say, hey, I'd like to help out. Whether it's web, whether it's there's there's a million different ways that you can serve, but know your gifts and think of it from a spiritual perspective too. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what God has given you to use? And think about it in terms of as as a stewardship. You are one day going to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus and give an accounting of what you did with your life. In particular, what you did with the gifts that God gave you. We are so blessed here in Corvallis. I mean, we live in you know, all, all the closest thing to a utopia that exists. You know, we have you know, highly educated, lots of resources. We're here at a church where we have the freedom to, and we have God's word in so many different translations. We have, we have been given immense blessings. I mean, this room alone contains more kind of, uh, expertise than whole cities that I've worked in overseas. Uh, we have tremendous resources. We have tremendous potential. Utilize what you've been given, and use it. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in your city, whether it's at your place of employment, use what you have to be a blessing. Okay? Employ it in serving one another. So I just want to challenge you, in the church, out in the community, use the gifts you have. If you don't know what your spiritual gifting is, figure it out. It matters. Like the church is missing out if the body who has gifts are not expressing them. The church is missing out. Uh, you are missing out when we don't serve with the gifts that we have. So I just want to challenge you to take the time to figure it out and to be using what you have. Use what you've been given by God. Because someday you're going to stand in front of him and you're going to give an accounting for what you did with what you have.
gifts, resources, everything we do. So I just want to challenge you to employ it, serving one another as good stewards. And really the stewardship thing, to me, is so important. And this is like the guiding principle for my wife and I. It's really ultimately at the end of the day, like, why are you going to Lacey? Well, we're going because we need to be good stewards of the gifts we have. So if we... If we have gifts and we can't use them, then we need to find. We have. To, we need. We need to be able to use the gifts we have and to serve. And so, and you all need to do the same. You need to find areas where you can use your gifts to be a blessing to whether Northwest Hills uh, or our city or however you use it. That the exact details of what isn't as important is that whatever you have, you do need to use that. So that's that's what for us is kind of our one of our driving life principles. And I would encourage you to consider that to be a driving life principle for you, too. Okay. So whoever speaks is to do so as a person speaking the very utterances of God, and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. These are the examples. And the example is not so much the what. Like, you could choose any gift, any particular aspect. Whatever it is that you're doing isn't critical, but the how is really critical. How do we do it? Well, we do it through the strength that God provides. We do it through the Spirit working through us. We don't, we don't do things in our own strength. We rely on the Spirit of God to be working through us and opening up doors and sending us out to do what he's calling us to do. So it is not so much the, the what, but the how. The how is absolutely critical that we are walking in the Spirit and that he is producing his fruit through us. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? That is how we, that's how we are to live and that we have a choice every day. How are we going to choose to live if we're going to walk in him? Okay? And then, of course, the why at the, at the end of the day is very clear. Peter tells us that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, the dominion, forever and ever. And the whole church says, Amen. Amen. Okay? That's the why. Two object lessons here for you this morning. The first up is hold the ropes. If you're wondering, why have I been looking at ropes this whole morning? Well, this is, this is a little apocryphal story, might be true, but one of the founders of the modern missions movement, William Carey, visiting with his uh, church leadership team as he was getting ready to head overseas as one, one of the world's first kind of missionaries like that uh, of the modern era, and he challenged them to hold the ropes for him. It was like, in, in their mind, it was like going into a deep, dark mine. They're going to be spreading out the light of the gospel in places that had not heard. And they asked, well, hold the rope for me, which meant you know, support us, pray for us, be, be that base of support so that they can go do the, the work that he had to do. And so even in Bible school, this was, the, this was a required class when we were in Bible school is hold the ropes as an opportunity to get connected with missionaries and be praying for them and to be engaged in what the Lord is doing. So I wanted to invite you. I threw together a little website last night. Uh, <laughs> Uh, called PrayForLacy.com. You can go check it out sometime right now, when you get home, whenever you want. Uh, there's a spot on there where you can sign up to get our prayer requests about what's going on, where we're going, what we're doing. Uh, so I just encourage you to check that out. Hit the little button there. Give us your email. And we would love to share with you so you can be praying for us, holding the ropes. Uh, the second, the final illustration here is every time you see a rope for the rest of your life, I want you to think of this. And I need, I need a young person volunteer. Is there a kiddo here? Oh, yeah, the Evans boys were here first hour. I just need a volunteer. Can someone come help me? Jen, I'm sorry. I'm going to call you out here. Will you do me a favor? Little Helena's a little too small. Uh, yeah, 
a little, little small. If you can take one end of that, but not this end, if you could just run that back to the back of the sanctuary. Anywhere, doesn't matter where. And then I need a person of a couple more years. Oh, Jim Pearson. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I picked Don Snow first hour. So, so I want to talk to you about life and eternity, what we're doing. Okay? So, Jim, you've been around a little while. This, this, this is your first day on, on, around here. This is a piece of rope. I want, I'd like you to look at that piece of rope there and think about you know, how long on this, if, if this rope represented eternity, how long is, has your life been on this, on this rope here? Can't tell. Can't tell. It's infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. It's small, that's right. So how often, thank you, you may have a seat. The, um, so life in, so he got the right answer, by the way. Good job, Jim. Uh, right? Think of life as a rope. How long is life? Life, life lasts forever. Which means you could take this rope and run it all the way up to Lacey and run it all the way back down to California, Venezuela, and back around the moon. Like, life lasts forever. Life is not... We often think of life as the dot. Like, we think of everything we do. Oh, that my whole life... I spent a lot of time working on my house here, thinking I was going to work here for 30 years, and got my house all set up just the way I liked and everything, and it's like, oh, Jeremy... The Lord says it's time to move on. Uh, and it was a reminder to me that life is not, we don't always get to choose how much we have and what we're going to do with it. And so sometimes it's easy for us to think that, oh, hey, I have, this, I have this next 30 years, or I have this 20 years, or I have this 70 years, or however long you think you have, and live like that is all there is. But the reality is that is but a tiny little dot of how long life really is. And I want to challenge you and have you think about living in light of the rope and not in light of the dot, which is all we have. Like Right now, everything we're thinking about, this entire reality, is just this little dot, but we have forever to live. And we need to be living like the end is near, like this dot's going to come up and then we have forever. If we would live our life in life of eternity, we would love people we would serve one another. We would pray for one another. So I just want to challenge you here as we're leaving to, to live not for the dots, but to live for the rope. And I, I want you to see ropes all around your life. All we don't use them as much in this day and age as you did 100 years ago. Uh, but to remember to live in the light of eternity.